Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to my weekly email newsletter, Friday Focus. Each Friday, I focus on one topic with one action arising. The link to sign up is in the show notes or head over to amyrolinson.com and sign up right now. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Will Mallard. Hey, Will, how are you? Great to be on, Amy. Looking forward to the opportunity to, uh, I suppose, expose myself uh, a little bit in terms of vulnerabilities. And um, I'm, I'm usually on the other side of the, the microphone with my podcast. Yeah, well, thank you very much. It was great to be on. So My Property World, great show. Really tune in to, to hear people's journeys about what they're doing in property. And there are so many different ways that you can access the property industry. And I'm, I'm going to have to restrict myself because I was about to ask you a question. So <laughs> Feel free. It's okay. You can ask me a question. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this time the shoe is on the other foot and I'm the host and, and you, you're in the hot seat, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what, what would you like to talk about uh, first up? There you go. There's a question. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask you, what is it you're doing at the moment? Right. So I, I'm a social impact investor. So it's primarily focused on uh, English social housing portfolios and I suppose other needs-based property connected investments. So uh, that, that's the that, that's the, the current space. I, I suppose people may, may or may not be interested. I'm a New Zealander by birth. Uh, I've been over this side of the world since 2007. And uh, I, I live in London and West Hampstead, and I coach rugby. That's fantastic. Rugby can't leave a New Zealander, huh? Yes, or, or certainly, um, certainly in my generation. Uh, I think there were 20 rugby teams in my co-ed uh, secondary school uh, when I was there. Uh, I think it's, it's getting less popular these days, uh, that play even though they're, they're they're perhaps a little bit more high profile in the international game. So coaching whom now? So I coach at Belsize Park, which is the highest ranked pub team in England. It's also the largest amateur uh, adult club in the country. We have, I think, eight, eight, eight adult sides uh, out most weekends. And it's a great fun place for people to get involved in, in an activity in a, a big, lonely city. And do you play at all now, or are you just coaching? I, I get asked every weekend to play, but uh, <laughs> I've been there and done that, I think. Yeah, I know that you sort of reach a limit of, of no no point of no return in terms of it just hurts too much to play. Yeah, and 20 kilos ago, it was a different game. <laughs> Fair enough. So your your passion for rugby is there and the social impact. Tell me about that. How is it that you have fallen into this area of work? So I, I suppose there's a, a series of sliding door moments. So go, going back to uh, my childhood, 
the the society that I grew up in was on a world scale relatively affluent. And as a 19-year-old, I travelled overseas and played rugby in South Africa. But the time I spent there, I got exposed to a level of inequality and poverty and just uh, uh, unbelievable hardships uh, that I, I hadn't really conceived prior to seeing it in, in person. And uh, I think that shaped me. And um, so while I was... I was there playing rugby. It had an enormous impact on me, I think, in terms of uh, understanding what's important to me, and and that the the sense that you know other people matter. I suppose. Um, jumping forward, um, in in recent years, I so I'm 48 now, and four or five years ago, I I started doing some work in property with a quite an experienced uh, guy who'd been previously been the Amazon real estate acquisition manager for the UK and Europe. And he'd brought about two billion pounds worth of property on behalf of Amazon, mainly logistics centers. And what made it even more impressive was that he did it in a roughly 18 month period. And, and we were we were looking to get involved in some small residential portfolios. And one of them was a Leeds-based social housing uh, portfolio. Uh, it was a scheme that was administered by uh, a Church of England subsidiary for homelessness. And I it opened my eyes to what social housing was, what social impact was. And, and previously, if you'd asked me uh, what homelessness was, I would have associated it with people living in shanty towns or cardboard boxes outside Tesco. And it's actually a, a much wider problem. And um, as we went around this portfolio, there were like a, a number of um, predominantly middle-aged men in this particular one who had just uh, fallen on hard times and um, what the the charity that was was uh, was running the scheme was doing was basically looking after them and, and putting them in a position to, uh, I suppose, survive and, and and give a bit of hope that there was a, a better life, a better future uh, in their in their world. And while doing this, uh, they were having an enormous impact on the, the wider society. Um, because we all know that the, the costs of incarcerating someone who is driven to a position where that they have to steal to live, it's in the hundreds of thousands of pounds. Uh, if that same person, um, you know, perhaps is rough sleeping and they get sick, they're hospitalised, you're into the thousands, if not tens of thousands of pounds per week per person. And for the, the sake of a, um, a little bit of help, a little bit of support, uh, people are able to, uh, are able to, to live and, and move forward. And uh, I could point to lots of other examples where I suppose other people had demonstrated um, doing the right thing in, in you know, moments of choice. And in parallel to this, it's not, it's not, purely about the social impact, it's a social impact investment. And, and by, by choosing uh, something that's needs-based, that's likely to be 
uh, a requirement, unfortunately, on a, a long-term basis. I think there's currently an estimated 5 million people who are in suboptimal living conditions in the UK and on various social housing or supported living wait lists. Um, so that, that's, a lead, uh, I, I suppose, a, a level of uh, need that is not going to be met in my lifetime, unfortunately. Uh, I often hear people talking about eliminating homelessness. The reality is that that, that would require um, an excess of 2 million additional dwellings um, in the country. That's not going to happen in a hurry, unfortunately. But we can do better. And, and there's, a, you know, a com, I suppose, a compelling investment proposition where you're uh, effectively getting money guaranteed by, uh, by state funds and you, you get a secure income uh, depending on where you, you, you sit within the, the, the uh, investment structures. And there's definitely like a, an enormous aspect of doing the right thing, you feel better. Like if you don't feel better, you're, you know, about helping someone, you're not human. Um, so that, that, that would be the, uh, I suppose, the heavy version of it. Like there's, there's uh, hundreds of individual stories uh, about the people who uh, we house and, and some harrowing tales. So I don't know if you want to get into some of those. Like there's, there's, there's lots of examples of, people who ha have had very tough lives. Um, they've got physical disabilities. They've got medical issues. They've got mental health issues. They've got family issues. They've got all, all sorts of dependencies. And, uh, and I, I, I genuinely think as a society, it's a good thing that we, we put a portion of... Um, of, of what the society creates as an economy back into looking after people who are, are perhaps a, a little bit less able and are in a tough spot because a huge portion of society is only a step or two away from being in that position themselves. And I always think, you know, what if it was my mum? And, you know, would I want her to be taken care of? Absolutely. Am I okay paying an extra you know, two, three percent in, in marginal tax rate, absolutely. So, Will, you, you mentioned that other people matter and you've gone into this space of working with a particular niche of people who are needing your help. But knowing that it's not going to be achieved in your lifetime, knowing that the work is never done and that there are some horrendous, harrowing stories that you're facing every day, what what is driving you to to or what is it that you you feel will be achieved in your lifetime? What, is there a point where you say, and, okay? And I, I, th I think there's a uh, there's a sense of a continual fulfilment. I, I've thought about this quite deeply. So um, I, I personally take great contentment from reflecting and thinking that I've made the most of what I've got in a given situation, which is very rarely enough or as good as it could be, or it might be, or it should be, but making the most of it, having a go. I, I think there's a, it's not necessarily about happiness. Uh, people often, you know, talk about having a happy, easy life. Uh, I don't want that necessarily. I, I want a fulfilled, engaged life where I'm connecting with people 
Uh, th this applies in a business context. They, um, you, you know, like the, the the basic idea in business is to do as little as possible and make as much money as possible, uh, and certainly in investment businesses. And that, that's not a bad goal necessarily, but I, I like the engagement with people. Uh, I, I've got no desire to, I suppose, down tools and sit on a beach for the rest of my life. Absolutely zero. And, and that sense of fulfillment, and it's not necessarily hard work, it's the engagement in the process. I'm trying to figure stuff out, like I, I love solving problems. And this is one of the big problems. Um, and it's in parallel with another big problem in society where uh, we haven't made provision for the future. There's insufficient pension funds for the current population. And housing is a way of, uh, I suppose, providing for that or investment into, into housing. And, um, and I, I, I kind of see those things as really well matched and, and I enjoy it. I, I love it. I, I really feel over the last several years, I've figured out what I want to do when I grow up. If I look back at everything I did up until that point, it, it was opportunistic. It was... It was where someone else had suggested something and I just kind of like nodded and gone long and uh, and made the most of it. But uh, this is something I've consciously chosen to do. Uh, similarly, I've chosen to move to England uh, quite, quite specifically, deliberately, uh, because I think it's a good place to live. Uh, and it really is that, that simple. I, I think it's a a relatively stable economy, despite, you know, the volatility that's going on, you, you can count on the fact that there's not going to be a military coup overnight, or I, I hope not anyway. You've got a, a, a basic level of property rights. You have a, a legal system that, that's not dependent on how much you've paid the, uh, the dictator or the the prince or, or whoever the, the ruler of, of the country is. And, and I like it. And, I, and you know, I, I think that that's why there's, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people desperately trying to come here all the time. So cast your mind back to when you just said that you're not about that easy life and, and happiness. And yet you're positioning yourself, as you say, in a country that has a stable economy, a, a, re a relatively easy life that you can lead and yet you said that you were sh your life was shaped by being exposed to the hardships and the inequality and poverty in South Africa so why choose here and why not there so uh, in, in terms of uh, the move here uh, preceded I think that the realization around social impact and the importance of that and you you work with what's in front of you. Like I, I, I decide the first decision was to move uh, to England. And I often get asked, uh, why have you moved from New Zealand to England? Like, you know, everyone wants to move there. And I, I think there's just a lot more going on. And and I think people uh, people genuinely, you know, they they make decisions for their own reasons and then look for others to... I suppose agree with those those decisions. My my decision to move over uh, was not connected to social impact, 
but while I've been here, and I think in a you know a relatively stable country, uh, I, I've been fortunate enough to 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 see that actually I can help other people, and, and yes, that's really really important to me. Um, you know how how you know if you you're looking for like a, a why, it's actually about how how can I make other people feel? If I can make someone feel a little bit more secure, uh, either an investor who you know who uh, has an uncertain future, or um, a, an individual who is struggling and they need a you know housing solution, they need a you know uh, someone to talk to. Um, and as we're getting bigger, like I proportionally have less and less direct contact with every individual, but I make a point of putting some time in every day to connecting to some of the residents, some of the people who who live in our housing scams. And what the uh, what the consistent thing is is they're good people, you know they. Uh, they might have uh, issues. They might not be uh, exactly like the people who are listening to the, the podcast necessarily, but they're people and, and they matter. So tell me, Will, the, the, the why is, is how can I make other people feel? And you said secure. And you've got the two sides. You've got your two parties. I mean, it probably isn't as clean cut. as probably a whole wealth of people in between there's as well. about 64 different uh different categories if you want but uh... <laughs> that's what i'm asking okay so so you you haven't just got the investor and then you've got those who you are securing a, a solid future for their for their homelessness issues and and their other insecurities that, that they have 64 parties that's a lot of people to please yeah, and I think that makes for a fulfilling life. Uh, and I think I should just briefly explain what what we, we we do, just so people have a bit of context. So basically, we take unloved properties that are often that um, they haven't been asset managed particularly well. Uh, they're often in quite bad physical shape. Uh, certainly not not to a standard that I'd regard as uh, being acceptable to rent, and we improve them. And, and then we, um, we make them available usually through a housing association or uh, some other uh, form of, of partnership with uh, either a local authority or a, a third sector organisation like a charity. That, that's kind of the basic sort of overview. Uh, the investment proposition is quite, quite simple. You're uh, taking something that's not very good and you're making it more valuable. You're also creating a uh, a longer term income stream. So uh, I'll use a, a very simple example. If you have a property that you're renting to an individual student, say, the security of your tenure is very different than uh, if you're renting for the same price to an organisation that has a hundred million pound balance sheet, which you know a medium sized housing association would easily have. Um, so, uh, uh, and I always use the high street example. Um, people get this a little bit more intuitively. If you have a pop-up shop in a retail uh, space on your local high street, the, the 
whatever they're renting on a month-to-month basis is far less valuable than if you're uh, renting it to, say, Barclays Group uh, on a 20-year uh, upward-only rental basis, or, or sorry, lease basis. Uh, most people understand that at a sort of an extreme. And, and by, by, I suppose, combining and understanding that, uh, that there's a, a, an ability to take something and make it more valuable, you've got an ability to do more of it. Uh, and by doing more of it, you're, you're providing a housing solution for even more people. Uh, and so it becomes a, you know, a, a snowball effect, I suppose. And I, I always, uh, I, I always sort of get uh, caught up because people often say you're doing great. You're, you know, you're, you're growing really quickly. And I, I always feel like we're not growing fast enough. So. So you mentioned that there are properties which are not being asset managed well enough, and you said that there was a, at least two million dwellings needed. I'm walking around looking around properties around me and there's always empty properties. What can people do to ensure that these properties are being brought to market to help solve your problem at least? Right. So, so they can certainly get in touch with us and we can we can help. But there's a, there's a number of schemes available uh, which vary from council to council. There's state funding, there's local authority funding, uh, both on loan and grant basis. Most when I say most, there's a number of uh, housing associations that are set up uh, to bring empty homes back into the market. And in my mind, like people talk about uh, environmentally friendly properties, building a whole new property cannot conceivably be as environmentally friendly as improving an existing one. Uh, like there's no logic that you know could convince me otherwise. And, and there's enormous uh, amounts of stock in the, the wider market, but not, not quite to the extent people uh, would have you believe. So there's currently um, about 30,000 empty houses in Greater London, uh, a housing stock that must be, uh, I actually don't have that figure offhand, but I, I imagine it's between three and four million if you ask me to hazard a guess. So not a not a huge number, um, and an empty house. Uh, there's different ways of measuring what is an empty house. Uh, that no one's in there, or it's been empty for more than two years, depending on you know who you're talking to or what 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 state authority you're uh, viewing it through. It will vary. But what what can they do? So it depends whether they're they're looking to uh, get involved and and be a developer, be a actually run the improvement themselves. They can bring it to the attention of a developer. Uh, they can bring it to the attention of, um, and you, you can, in addition to wandering the streets around you and looking for boarded up houses, there's empty homeless uh, that, that each council maintain and it's freely available, uh, which can be a, a way of doing it at a slightly bigger, bigger scale. And, what the um, what the the missing piece I, I observe most people who haven't done something like this before is they haven't thought through what's the end use, who's the end user, how is it going to be structured, how will it work economically, what what's the residual value 
once you've taken out the cost of improving it as well as the cost of uh, getting control or, or buying the, the property. Um, is there planning implications? Is the property actually suitable you know, in, in its current configuration? The, uh, you know, and quite, quite often um, uh, it's getting quite popular to do commercial conversions to residential. And that's a that's a specialist space. I I, I would uh, I'd caution people around that because a lot of things can go wrong, and, and and financially you know you you're leaving yourself quite exposed if you're you don't have the right people around you. And I think that if there's sort of one key thing that I've I've figured out myself is that I, I don't know very much about most things. Um, and it's important to have the right people around you. And I've been incredibly fortunate, you know, uh, I, you know, via via being active and being out there and you know, uh, networking and and being involved in different transactions. You, you meet lots of people, and 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 I, I suppose uh, partnering with those people, picking their brains, and and making it easy for them to get what they want. I, I suppose that's the that's, I suppose, the, the initial sort of uh, thoughts. Right. And, and Will, it's, it sounds like a fantastic thing that you're doing. In terms of social impact and the impact that you are looking to make, in terms of spreading the word, you've got your podcast. How else are you helping people to understand that this is a huge requirement that is needed help with? That's a great question, and um, one of the things that would surprise people is that uh, I focus really heavily on making sure that there's connections within uh, particularly the local authorities, which are, are quite complex places, Like, um, and you'd commonly hear investors or people involved in property express frustration, and, and you know, there's an appearance that there's a almost a different language being spoken in local authorities. And I, I've taken, a, I suppose, the opposite view. I think they do a great job, you know, 99% of the time. Certainly the vast majority of, of officers involved in councils and the various departments, uh, they're there doing their best and, and they're, uh, they're following the rules, they're following procedures, uh, and those rules and procedures are in place for... Uh, a, a reason because you're talking about public money, you're talking about uh, public good, and by by engaging, um, you know, actively. So, uh, a quick example, uh, and this is like a micro example that uh, anyone would be able to apply. Um, we we brought a property a, a little while back where there was a autistic lad. Uh, maybe maybe 20, 21 years old, the previous landlord had signed him up on a tenancy when it was very clear within 30 seconds of meeting him, he, it wasn't appropriate that he, he was given a, a legal contract. And what, what we immediately did was we got in touch with the local authority and uh, they assigned a health and wellbeing coach most people would think of them commonly as a social worker and engage this person in, and, and there were all sorts of problems with the property itself, which 
there's problems with the tenancy, there was problems with the accessing benefits that he was eligible for, and we managed to sort all of those things out, but in conjunction with, you know, I suppose in partnership with with the council and their representatives. And I, I made a, a, a conscious effort to stay in touch with that individual health and wellbeing coach. And I, I'd send her copies of the, or, or sorry, episodes of the podcast where there was a social impact or, you know, something where I thought uh, would be appropriate. Now, uh, over the year in between, she's decided to go back and, and do a uh, academic qualification uh, so she can expand her impact. And she's credited uh, listening to some of the podcasts as part of the reason why for that. Now, that's led on to other things. So she's, um, you know, she's been uh, moved into a, another department and moved up a level. And her boss basically decides the sign off of a, you know, a, a very large scheme we're involved with. So there's someone you know that, that we've we've had direct involvement with, hundreds of contacts with, uh, who thinks positively of us, who's sitting in the room when when they're thinking you know uh, should we commit some public money to to the scheme or not, and that that's uh, I, I suppose like a commercial way of viewing something, but it's also about doing the right thing. We did the right thing uh, by getting in touch. We did the right thing by staying engaged uh, right through the process. That kid's in a much better place than, than he was. And, and I feel good about that in isolation. And I think it is that total commitment that you have there, Will, that you are following through, not just on the, the large grand scales of the schemes that you're working with, but all the way right down to the individual and those touch points all in between. You're creating so many different layers of ripple effects. So, you know, you, you're not, it's not just about those who are helping, it's about those who are helping those and then those who are helping those. And it just continues, which is fantastic. And as you say, yes, it has benefited the fact that you've brought in a scheme, but that's because of the, the commitment and the relationship and the rapport that you've built with everybody along the process. So well done. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you. And I think that that comment, well done, I'm just going to uh, share a little <laughs> story. Um, so number of years ago, so I was working at, uh, as a business consultant. We were doing independent business reviews in a distressed loan portfolio. So the average loan size was about £20 million, so significant but not enormous. And we're going through hundreds and hundreds of, of these reviews. And we're, we're meeting with the uh, developers or property developers uh, and they typically have another business of, of some description. And one of them uh, was a software firm, uh, was the, the, where they got the cash initially to get into property development. And we're sitting in the room and we've got an incredibly intense session that goes for, I remember it being about 12 or 14 hours. It might have been, it might have been, you know, 10 hours, but uh, uh, and we're exhausted, and, and everyone leaves the room apart from two property developers, me and this guy, Jer. And Jer looks at these two guys who are, are, are like exhausted in their seats. We're, we're sitting in this, their boardroom, and they look like they're, you know, they're, they're ready to take a long swim, like, like they've basically given up on life. 
and he, he puts his hands on, hand on uh, each of their shoulders. He stands up, and, and they're, they're slumped over in their chairs. And he says, look, guys, I just want to acknowledge uh, all that you've achieved, you know, in your careers. Well done. And it was like this that, that comment of well done. It uplifted them. It uplifted me. And I just thought it was one of the most beautiful individual moments I've ever seen. And, and those guys... It was quite uh, unusual for the the you know the situations we were in. They did sort it out, and they they did that. They went on and 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 continued. Uh, I suppose they they paid the loan back, and they uh, and they went on to bigger and better things, which was not typical in the uh, in the distressed loan space. But the connection from this guy Jia to them, I, I think that's something that we have within our power in any interaction. So thank you for saying well done. Um, and sorry to divert there. No, it's a beautiful moment. Thank you for sharing. And I think it is a case that sometimes our efforts can be unnoticed and it's not that we do them for recognition. It's not we do them for praise, you know, particularly your work where you're, you've got a very clear understanding of why you're doing what you're doing because of how many people are going to benefit. And you, as you said, other people matter. It's not about you. Sometimes it's taking that praise that you get and go, okay, yeah, well done me sometimes. You know, you need to take that on board because it fuels your drive to keep going. Yeah, and it's really interesting, this this idea of purpose, because um, I, I genuinely, uh, like, uh, I, I don't think about it too much. Like, you know, you, you just get on with uh, what you're doing. And, and, and yes, I, I think it's important, but... When I contrast, uh, this conversation has made me realise the the contrast between everything up until you know fairly recently in my life and, and where I'm at now. And I, I think there's a uh, there's definitely like uh, I'm I'm doing something that I'm comfortable with that I'm engaged with. I think it's having a, an impact. Like I wake up in the morning. Um, like literally before I open my eyes, I'm thinking about how uh, how I can make more of an impact today, and and I'm still thinking about it when I go go to sleep, which uh, it's a good good place to be. I love that. Well, fantastic. Keep keep going, Will, because there are so many people out there who need you to continue what you're doing. Yeah, and it's um, you know it's something that people. Um, they want to know more that they can listen to the podcast uh they can get in touch and and probably the easiest way to do that is uh just via linkedin connect with me on on linkedin and uh I, i'd love to hear from from people and, and if i can help them help them with whatever they're that they're looking to uh figure out uh i certainly don't have it all figured out i'll, I'll emphasize that yeah, well, you are an unsung hero for sure. And, and I just like to reiterate that the well done element of what you're doing, it really is incredible. So, yeah, how would you like to close this episode out today, Will? So it's a story that I think sort of sums up how I think about living. So I had a judo coach. I took up judo uh, at, back in New Zealand, and uh, this guy was a... A, an Englishman, he'd been a, a veteran of D-Day in the Second World War. He was a commando, very tough sort of 
character, but incredibly caring, kind man. He was 80 years old when, when this story came about. And I'd started doing judo and I had my first tournament coming up that weekend. So this might have been on a Wednesday before a Saturday tournament. And I asked him, what can I do to prepare more for the tournament? I want to be ready. And he looked at me like I was an effing idiot. And I, I, I sort of like was in this moment of just wondering what, what's he going to say? And he, he looked me in the eye and said, you're either ready or you're not. And I, over time, uh, I, I've realised like what that, that means is that uh, we'd all like to be a bit more prepared and we'd all like to, to have more resources. We'd all like to... Uh, I, I suppose, have things thought out and planned a little bit better. And I, I think that that, that uh, ability to literally make the most of where you are now and take a step forward, and, and that step hopefully is in the right direction. Hopefully it's for the right reasons, but you're much better getting on and, and doing it. And, and your, your ability to do the right thing to do better, it relates to the ability to take take action, to have a go. Uh, and, and I think the final thought is that uh, whatever you're, you're wanting to do, have a go. Do your best. And there's an enjoyment in that. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.